you have your Bibles, turn to two places in Scripture. Turn first to Ephesians chapter 5. And while you have your bookmark in Ephesians chapter 5, turn over to Acts chapter 2. Today we begin a new series called The Church. And my hope and prayer is that as we look at various um, passages of Scripture and hear from God Himself, that we would discover the beauty of the church. There are several places in Scripture that talk about the church, different uh, metaphors or word pictures uh, that we find in Scripture describing the church. Jesus described the church in connection with himself when he talked about he being the vine and we being the branches. It's a picture of the church being connected to Jesus. We see the, the image of the body. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, It's the picture in Ephesians chapter 4. It's the picture of the church being the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and we are the body and we exist and live, find our, our, our life from our head who is Jesus. And our direction and everything about us depends upon Jesus Uh, uh, who is the head of the body. And some of us are pinky toes, and some of us are ears, and some of us are eyeballs. Uh, But all of us have a part to play in the body of Christ. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. We also find uh, in... uh, (coughs) Excuse me. We also find uh, a picture of the church uh, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and and the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, a a place not made with human hands, uh, but a people that God has established for himself, called out to himself. Uh, So we have these different metaphors, but when we talk about the beauty of the church, one metaphor, uh, one word picture becomes prominent in my thinking, and that is the bride of Christ. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. 2018 uh, in the Thomas household uh, is one of the years. I have four daughters. Uh, 2018, my uh, second daughter got married, the first in our home to get married, apart from her mother and I. Um, uh, She got married in June. And, uh, and so 2018 is known as the year of the wedding. And there will be other years of the wedding uh, when the other daughters get married. Uh, and, and so it's the year of the wedding for us and all the planning. And, and this dress is special to me because I paid for it. <laughs> this is the dress that my daughter wore. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Thank you very much. Uh, I, I had the privilege of walking my daughter down the aisle. And as a pastor, I've, I've been to a lot of weddings. Some of you all, I've been at your wedding. Uh, and most of the time when I'm at a wedding, my vantage point is like it is right now. I'm here and I'm watching the bride come through the door. 
And, uh, and, and so that was, that's, that's always a beautiful picture. I'm always standing there and, and be, you know, ready to catch the groom if he faints or anything like that. Uh, but, but in a traditional wedding, you know how dramatic it can be. In a traditional wedding, uh, you have uh, all the uh, attendants come processing in and they take their place on the platform or around uh, the wedding party is arranged and and then uh, you have the doors closed and the music begins to play and the doors are flung open and boom, there's the bride. And that's when I have to watch the groom. That's when he faints because he looks and you always hear them go, hmm. <laughs> Invariably, it's always, ah. Oh. Uh, at my daughter's wedding, I had the vantage point of, of walking in with her. And I remember walking through the door uh, and uh, with her on my arm, and I was looking at Will, uh, my son-in-law, and I watched his eyes. And the immeasurable wildness on his face. And he was overwhelmed with the beauty of his bride. I I believe that this is one of those word pictures that helps us as the church understand, in part, who we are, but really who we are. Not just the church, big C, but who we are, First Norfolk. And, and, And as we look at this passage, I want us to, to, to try to lean into um, what Jesus says about the church. Uh, several places uh, where uh, Paul talks about or Scripture talks about uh, the relationship between God and his people or Jesus and his people as the groom and the bride. There are several places. Ezekiel 16 uh, is a place in Scripture that talks about God uh, and his relationship with Israel as husband and Israel is his wife and how he cleanses her and washes her. Uh, we find in, in John chapter 14, I don't know if you knew this, John chapter 14, this is the passage where Jesus says, um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, uh, in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, uh, verses 2 and 3 of John 14, that is bride and groom imagery. Uh, Jesus says, my father's house. He's talking about uh, the dwelling where he is the son abides. He abides in his dad's house. And in the culture of the first century, what would happen is uh, the son would leave his father's house and find his bride. He would be trothed to his bride. He would go back to his father's house and prepare the room for him and for his wife prepare the living quarters in which they would live, and then he would come back and get his bride and take her to his father's house where they would live forever. And, and so that's the picture. John 14, 2 and 3 is a picture of a bride coming to get, uh, a groom coming to get his bride. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, the apostle Paul paints the picture of him as the father of the bride, presenting the bride to Jesus as a, as a chaste wife. 
We find in Revelation chapter 19 that Jesus is uh, getting married to his bride, the church, uh, at the marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. And, And then in Revelation chapter 21, the end of time, where we see the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, adorned in all of her glory, coming down from heaven. We, we see that, that Jesus is there waiting for his bride. And there are so many passages that talk about the church as the bride of Christ. I want us to deal with Ephesians chapter 5. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 is... Uh, uh, the passage we're looking at is the house code. And that's where Paul talks to uh, us about the roles in our marriage and as parents to children and children to parents. And, and so he's talking about that. Uh, before he gets there, he really, the whole letter to the believers in Ephesus is him really focusing in on how to help the church at Ephesus and us um, experience the full flavor of life in Christ, how that we can know that from from before time began, God had us in his heart and on his mind. He chose us. He he predestined us. He loved us. He brought us into into his family through the death of Christ on the cross. He is He's made us alive together in Christ Jesus. He's seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's brought us in to community with one another. So there's no barrier between us and God. And there's no barrier between you and me. uh, All because of what Jesus did on the cross. And and then we see in chapter 4 that that Paul says that that God is is building his church. And the church here in Ephesians 4 is the body of Christ. And, and, and we're growing together in love and, and growing as a body because of Christ's love. Then in chapter 5, he starts talking about how we are to live every day um, in, in a tough world and in, in difficult, sometimes fragile, sometimes mangled relationships, how we're supposed to live uh, in a way that's pleasing to him, and, and so that we experience the full flavor of God's blessing in those relationships. He talks about walking in the light. He talks about walking in wisdom. And he talks about walking in love. In Ephesians 5, verse 21, there's a, a, a general statement that you and I are supposed to embrace as part of this body of Christ called First Norfolk. He says we're supposed to submit to one another. In the fear of the Lord. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. But the next verse is the one that usually gets uh, the rankles up, in, at least in my all-female home. And it says that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. I, I, I'm not going to change the scripture to fit uh, my daughter's uh, predilections, but that's what it says. And, and, and even though that's fallen Sometimes in difficult um, places, and sometimes it, it's hard for us to understand, especially in our culture, uh, this is the Word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, and by the way, it's submit to your own husbands. Uh, there's not a woman here who has to submit to me because I'm a man. Just thought you all ought to know that. Just should have gotten an amen from somebody, but that's okay. 
I want you to pick up in verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Now, here it is. I want you to lean into this because we're talking about Jesus and the church. We're not talking about relationships and marriage right now. We're, we're talking about the, the relationship between Jesus and the church. He says, um, just as Christ, verse 25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her so that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, underline that, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves, his, loves himself. No one ever hated his own uh, flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord loves and nourish, uh, cherishes and nourishes the church. Uh, I, I want us to kind of dig in, not to the marriage relationships, but really to the relationships between Jesus and the church, the bride and the groom. And Jesus was looking at the church, and he looks at our church today, and he sees her beautifully adorned, spectacularly arrayed, and he says, she's beautiful. And Jesus created the church, and he made the church beautiful. That's what glorious church is all about there in, in, in verse 27. He says uh, that, or verse 26, or 27, he says that he might present uh, her to himself a glorious church. Glorious there is a term that means uh, arrayed in splendor or splint, uh, uh, splendidly glorious. Um, it means beautiful. And that is how Jesus sees this church. And one thing I hope you get out of this message and the messages that we'll be looking at over the next several weeks, one of the things I hope you get is, is a renewed reverence and appreciation for the church. That we would talk about the church the way Jesus talks about the church, that we would view this church the way Jesus views this church. My prayer is that we would begin to see the church through the eyes of the groom. Uh, last night we were watching, uh, my wife and I were watching the Cowboys game. And, and I feel the need to say we were watching the Cowboys game. And in the commercials to the Cowboys game, I flipped the station so we could watch The Notebook. <laughs> and if you're newly married or thinking about getting married, I want you to take great note of what I just said. Because this will be important to you in your future. I was watching the Cowboys game. But in the commercials, I was watching The Notebook. 
And uh, truth is, we probably got to see, we watched The Notebook till the end, and, and uh, we were watching it. And there's one scene, now if you haven't seen, Nicholas Sparks wrote a book called The Notebook. And, and it's a love story, and goo, and ga, and ha, and ha, and all that kind of stuff. And it's about uh, a guy named Noah and a girl named Allie. And uh, most of the book, most of the movie tackles Noah and Allie in their young years as they're uh, just finding their young love together and all the uh, obstacles that they have to face and overcome until finally uh, they come together and become husband and wife. And, and, and yet there are flash forwards and flashbacks uh, and the scene that I saw last night that really captured my attention wasn't the young love. It wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, the, the young Noah or the young Allie, but it was the James Garner Noah, the older Noah and the older Allie. Allie is in a, a, a facility. She's got dementia, and she loses her memory. And she can't place who this guy is, Noah, in her life. And so he reads the notebook to her. And they've been on this journey. Uh, there's this one scene toward the end of the movie, and, and they've had a great day, and Noah has prepared a dinner uh, along with the help of the medical staff, and it's uh, it, a table, candlelight, uh, in front of this beautiful uh, window overlooking the lake, and the sun is setting, and Noah is standing there, and Allie comes up, and again, she just has no memory of of who this guy is, but she's looking out at the sunset, and she said, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And that's an alley. Noah's standing over here. He's not looking at the sunset. He's looking at his bride. And he says, oh, yes, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That's why Nicholas Sparks is a millionaire right there. Uh, <laughs> But even with the wrinkles and the age and the passing of time and the lack of memory, Noah looks upon Allie through the eyes of a groom, through the eyes of love. That's how Jesus sees this church. That's how Jesus sees his church, through the eyes of love. And yeah, we're, we're imperfect and we don't have it all together, but friends, please understand that Jesus has created this church and he's made us and he calls us beautiful. He has made us beautiful. How does he make us beautiful? He makes us beautiful by his love. I, I want you to just lean in again to, to verse 25 of chapter 5. He says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And Jesus loves the church and he loves her in such a way that he died for her. It is through his death on the cross that we are created. It is through his self-giving sacrificial love that we are the church. He loves us so much that he died for us on a cross. This is what makes us beautiful. It's not our cosmetics. It's not sound machines. 
or stained glass. What makes the church beautiful is Christ's love. It is the love of Jesus that makes this church beautiful. And he goes on and he says, I I gave myself for my bride so that I might sanctify her, so that I might give her the forgiveness that would make her right with God, so that I might cleanse her, so that I might wash away her sin through the shed blood of my own sacrifice. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I love the church, and that love makes the church beautiful. And Jesus loves the church, and he cares for the church. Down in verse 29, he says that that he is committed as husband or as groom to the church. He is committed to cherish and nourish her. Do you realize that right now, this church is being cherished by Jesus and nourished by Jesus? Oh, yes, this church is beautiful. The beauty of the church is found in the sacrifice of Jesus, his great love, his persistent care for us. By the way, if Jesus cares for the church so much and we are his followers, why is it that we don't care for the church the way he does? Many of us are still dating the church. Jesus married himself to the church. And as his followers, so must we. Our commitment must be informed by Jesus, not, not, not by our likes or dislikes. You know, marriage is a whole journey of likes and dislikes. I don't like green beans. Can I get an amen? Volvo, can I get an amen? I don't like green beans. But others in my house do. My wife likes green beans. I've learned to eat green beans. I didn't say I've learned to like them. I've learned to eat them. That, that's, that is what we are committed to do in the church. Our love, our care, our concern, our commitment follows along the track of Christ's love. Don't just date the church, folks. Commit yourself to the church. And Jesus is the groom and and we are the bride and we're beautiful because Jesus in his love has made us beautiful. That's who we are as a church. Now, as we look at this passage... I want you to see a couple of things that that are to our advantage as members of the church, as members of this church, as part of this body of Christ and this this local congregation. By the way, uh, we know that there is the big church, and that's that's the church comprised of believers of every tongue, tribe, and nation, and and every age, and, and, and that's the big church. But the only church that we know is this church. And God is calling us to be part of the local church. When Paul writes this letter, he says to the believers in the church of Ephesus, he's talking to a local church. And some of us, we need to commit ourselves to the local church. 
And, and as we look at this passage, one of the things that we find, one of the values that we find is that, that because of Christ's great love, and we've been forgiven our sin, we've been cleansed, we have been presented to himself uh, spotless and blameless, wrinkle-free. He cares for us. He cherishes us. He nourishes us. This is what we find when we talk about the beauty of the church. And that's what we need to find in our own experiences with the church. We, we, we look at this description in verse 27. Uh, again, let me read it. Uh, he might present to himself a, a beautiful church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy without blemish. Okay, so do you see the disconnect there? Because I look at this church and I see wrinkles and spots and blemishes. I, I, I see that in myself. And yet when Jesus talks about the church, he says she's beautiful. And even the church that Eric's part of. Even Eric with his wrinkles and his spots and his blemishes. You see, there's a disconnect between the church as Jesus sees her and the reality of who we are. And our job as followers of Jesus is to shrink the distance. See, that's, that's why we're here. That's why Paul was writing this letter. That's why we've gathered here. We've gathered here to shrink the distance. The beauty that Jesus sees and the blemish that we have, that, that, that gap between those two things needs to shrink. And so we gather together each week so that we might shrink that gap. The question is, will we dive into the beauty of the church? Will we discover the church's beauty. And, and the way we do that, I believe, is found in the very first uh, controversial passage I read, that, that we must be subject, submitted to Jesus. Can, can I tell you, maybe you're discontented with the church, and if you are, can I just give you the big point of this message? By the way, that was all introduction. Isn't that great? Can I just give you the big point of this message? The main idea, the one I, I really hope and pray you walk away with, we find beauty in the church when we submit ourselves to Jesus and his leadership. Uh, we find beauty in the church. We can say First Norfolk is beautiful, not because of the rhetorical flourishes of the speakers, not because of the size of the seats in which we sit, not because of the ease with which we can park, not because of the, uh, of the grand illuminations that we have inside the room, not because we have a smoke machine. None of these things are the things that cause the church to be beautiful. We find beauty in the church when we take responsibility to shrink the distance between the beauty that Jesus says we are. Oh, wow, she's beautiful. And the blemish that we have in our own life. It's called the process of sanctification. It's where, where, where the journey that we're on. My job is not to make you feel better, although I hope I do at times. My job given to me by God, affirmed by this congregation, is to help each of us shrink the gap between 
the beauty that Jesus sees and the blemish that we have. To shrink that gap. So how do we do that? And by the way, the discontent that we find in church most of the time I have discovered is not about they, it's about me. If maybe you would stop talking about how I wish they would do this and they would do that and they would do the other thing and you just go ahead and own your part. That's what we're talking about today. See, I can't fix you, but I sure can fix me. I can't make your gap shrink, but I can sure shrink my own gap. So how do we do that? That's where we go to Acts chapter 2. Okay, And this is the conclusion, by the way. I'm giving you some application points I want you to walk home with. But, but here's the conclusion, Acts chapter 2. Now, Acts chapter 2 is a, a beautiful description of the church as it is bursting in its infancy uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, you remember the, the scenario, Luke uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote his sequel, uh, the Notebook Part 2. He wrote his sequel called Acts. Acts begins with Jesus ascending to the right hand of the throne of God. The disciples gathered together in an upper, upper room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall on them. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit pours down on them Peter, uh, the, the Peter that walked on water and, and, and the Peter that denied Jesus three times. Peter, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up and begins to preach because he's got a crowd. In the streets of Jerusalem, they, they saw the commotion that was going on and they gathered to see what was happening. They thought there was a big drunken party going on, so they wouldn't see all, what that was all about. And so Peter begins to preach. And in that preaching, he tells the people that Jesus is God's son who died on a cross for their sin. And they can only find life in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 40, it says, With many other words he testified and exhorted uh, the crowd, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Now, I want you to get that. So here's what happened. The people were sitting there, and they hear Peter preach his message, and and they hear it, and they want to know what must they do in order to be made right with God. And Peter says, you've got to be saved. You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to trust in Jesus. And they gladly received his word, and they were rescued. They were sanctified in that moment. By the washing of the water and the word. Uh, they, they were rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So, verse 41, and those who gladly received his word, what did they do? They were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now that's a beautiful church. That's the church that I want, we want this church to be. 
It's a church where all the streets of Jerusalem were abuzz talking about her beauty. You see that in verse 40, 43. It says, and, 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 and there was great fear on every soul. That term fear is awe. When, when the bride walks through the door in her beautiful dress, paid for by the father of the bride, when the bride walks through the door, and I've heard it a hundred times, every single wedding, the bride enters, and it's not just the groom that goes, oh, you hear it all around the room. Oh, ah, ooh, ah. And then you get a bunch of phones lifted up like this. There is an awe that begins to take shape when they see the bride adorned in all of her beauty. In Jerusalem, the church birthed there at Pentecost, busting at Pentecost. It, it was alive and it was awe-inspiring as the church walked through the streets of Jerusalem. The people who were not followers of Jesus went, ooh, and ah, as they saw the beauty of the church. How did they get to that place? What is it that they did that, that created that kind of awe-inspiring uh, kind of responses from the people? They were living in the beauty. The church was living in the beauty because they were following the leadership of Jesus. Now, here it is. You want to find beauty in the church. You want to find beauty in your life. You want to find beauty in your home. The first thing is, as a follower of Jesus you got to celebrate believer's baptism. And I know, I know that some of you don't think this is a big deal, but I find it to be a very big deal. Verse 40, the people heard the word. The beginning of verse 41, they received the word gladly. And then what did they do next? They were baptized. Baptism is a beautiful picture of our allegiance to Jesus. It is a declaration that we belong to him. Some of you here, and as a believer, you've never been baptized. What I mean by that is somebody baptized you before you had a chance to embrace Jesus yourself. Now, I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying that's not what we find here. I believe that one of the ways that we find beauty in the church is by following the example of Jesus. He was baptized. And by following the instruction of Jesus that we find here, that we are baptized. That we display for all to see, I belong to Jesus. Every time we baptize in the baptismal waters, it is a declaration of a soul that has been rescued by God's grace, declaring without shame, I belong to Jesus. Have you been baptized as a believer? Maybe that's something you need to do today. We need to celebrate believers' baptism. The second thing that we see in this passage is that they devoted themselves daily to God's Word. Uh, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine, what is that? Well, that is what Jesus told them to teach. That's, uh, th that's uh, the words that Jesus shared and, and so the apostles were standing before the people, and they were teaching the people the words of Christ. For us, it's Scripture itself. It is where we are hearing and submitting and listening and allowing the Word of God to shape our lives. 
maybe, maybe you're not find, finding beauty in the church because you're, you're not submitted to the Word of God. You know, maybe we do need to make this a weekly appointment where we get together to hear God's Word proclaimed, delivered, received, and applied. This is how we find blessing as a church and growth as a church and unity as a church. It's when we receive God's Word. I'm not talking about getting your spiritual meme going on on social media and looking at that and posting that and say, yes, I've spent time in God's Word today. I'm not talking about those, those, those memes of Scripture. I'm talking about allowing Scripture to get hold of your heart to change you. That's what it means to be continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Can I tell you, in my experience as pastor, not just of this church, but even before now, most people who say, I can't stand the preaching, and I know I'm not the best preacher in the world, but most of the time people say they can't stand my preaching. Most of the time there's an underlying problem, and it's not my preaching. It's the message that Jesus wants to share to the people from his word, and they don't want to receive it. And I don't mean that ugly. I really don't. I, I know that there are times when I get it wrong, and, and when I do, I try to repent and confess it. I'm not talking about that. I'm just, I'm just saying that if generally you can't stand the preaching of the preacher and you've had this problem for some time, maybe the problem isn't the preachers that you're listening to. Maybe the problem is that you are not submitting yourself to the Word of God. We believe that this is important in our church, so important that uh, our one goal as, as staff in 2019 is to create 75 life groups because we believe that is where, in the smallest setting possible, we can get under the teaching of God's Word. Uh, we, we believe it's so important that, that uh, this week uh, on Tuesday at Let's Do Lunch and then uh, at a different event at, at uh, a dinner at Volvo, uh, these two events, our ladies are getting together and we've invited in a young woman named Amy Hale and her claim to fame is helping ladies discover how to study God's Word and allow it to shape their life. This is so important that in a couple of weeks, you're going to uh, receive from me a list of the passages of Scripture that we are going to memorize each week. We, the church, are going to memorize each week in 2019. We believe that this is key for us finding beauty in the church, of shrinking the gap between our beauty as Christ sees it, and our blemishes as we have them. We need to devote daily to God's Word. And then finally, we need to, we need to share life together. Sharing life together is the koinonia part of verse 42. They devoted themselves steadfast, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship simply means we share life together. Do you realize that your Christian journey was never intended to be a solo adventure. Our Christian experience was intended to be part of a community, a family, where we together as the church encourage one another so that we don't fall prey to the hardness, hardening of our hearts to sin, so that we uh, gather together regularly so that we can 
uh, spur one another on toward good works and love. Now, by the way, this Wednesday night, those are two passages from Hebrews. This Wednesday night at 6 o'clock in the chapel, I'm going to be teaching the book of Hebrews, and we're going to go through the whole book of Hebrews so that, so that we can, for an hour and a half, 6 to 7.30, every Wednesday night until we're done, it'll be about four weeks, we're going to go through the book of Hebrews. You need to come, if you can, if at all possible, you need to come and, and allow God's Word to shape your life. So as we share life together, we get together and we break bread together. But breaking of bread, verse 42. Um, breaking bread, some say that that is communion. I believe that there is a part to that. Uh, and on the 27th of this month, we're going to have communion together. As some suggest that breaking bread is just that. It's getting together and having a meal. And can I tell you, I think that there is a picture there of just getting together and having a meal. A few verses later, it says that they went house to house, praising God, breaking bread house to house. That meant that they got together and they just had a meal together. What in the world would happen if we as a church committed ourselves to get together with a group of people regularly and break bread together and share life together? Well, we believe it's important, so... um, we're going to establish uh, a uh, set up different dinners. Philip Herring and I are going to work on this, and we're going to establish different dinner parties. Not at his house or mine, but at your houses. <laughs> where, where we all can get together and break bread together, get to know each other, share life together. It's not only breaking bread, but it's also praying together. Uh, there is a reason why we do this one, one, one thing. You know, we pray at one o'clock for one minute for one thing. And we're doing it every day. And this week, I want to encourage you to pray for this one thing. The person in 2019 that God has placed upon your heart. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. But that person in 2019 that God will help you lead them to know his love and his grace and his mercy that their life would be transformed by God's grace. I want you to pray this week for that one person in 2019. Well, we're going to share with them. We're going to invite them to come with us to church. We're going uh, we're, we're to have dinner with them. We're going to get to know them and share the gospel with them. But our hope and prayer is that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Who is that one person? This week, will you pray for that one person at 1 o'clock for one minute? If you don't know the person, then ask God to say, God, will you show me who this person is? 2019, one person. Let's do that. But praying together is where we commit ourselves to prayer. Uh, Individually, but also corporately. It's part of fellowship where we share needs and concerns and celebrations and victories. In March, we're, we're, we're dedicating a whole worship gathering to prayer, so that, so that we can share life together. You want to know how you find beauty in the church, how you can look at the bride and see her as beautiful? It's when we submit ourselves to Jesus, and get under his leadership, when we celebrate believers' baptism and 
dedicate ourselves to be in God's Word and allow God's Word to be in us. Where we share life together as the church, in this way we begin to experience the beauty. We begin to experience the blessing. We begin to experience the family. We begin to experience the unity. We begin to experience exactly what Jesus sees. This is my bride, and she is beautiful. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I've known, I know that I've thrown a lot at you this morning, and God's Word is, is, is uh, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's speaking to you exactly the way Jesus intends for it to speak to you. But I wonder if there isn't some specific response that the Spirit of God is leading you to make today. Can I ask you a question? And really the key question from this entire journey is, do you believe that you are submitting to Jesus? That really is the key question. Are you here today? Can you say you are submitting to Jesus? And if you're not, would you be willing to change that today? Some of you are here and you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That needs to be a commitment you make now. Some of you need to become engaged in a life group. And that's a commitment you need to make today. Some of us need to commit ourselves to pray at 1 o'clock with the rest of the church for that one thing for one minute. It's a commitment we need to make today. Are you submitting yourself to Jesus and his leadership? If you're not sure, if you want to make sure that there's nothing left undone, I invite you to set your gaze on Jesus. Really, the reason why we're here is to set our focus on him. Maybe you're here and the the hurt of your heart is so profound, it's hard for you to think about, about doing other things like Uh, reading God's Word or or being baptized or sharing life with anybody else. You're just, you're profoundly struggling emotionally, relationally, financially. Maybe you're just struggling. Can I tell you, and I know it seems simplistic, but the answer is Jesus, so turn your eyes to Him. Come to Him with your whole heart and allow Him to give you the leadership that you need. Will you turn your eyes on Jesus? Maybe you're here and and the struggle of your heart and the yearning of your soul is to taste beauty again. Maybe you just need to turn your eyes on Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. See his beauty and see his eyes of love for you, for this church. In these next few moments, I just want to encourage you. There are going to be ministers here, and and this altar is open as it always is, and you can come and pray. Uh, You can come and ask for uh, help or prayer from our ministers. In these next few moments, will you just... 
in your heart and in your mind, with all your being, set your gaze on Jesus. And ask him, oh, Jesus, what would you have me do? And I'll do it. And then do what he asks you to do. So, Father, in these moments, as we bend our heart before you, as we look to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the apostle and high priest, of, our rescuing lo- of your rescuing love toward us, we, we turn to Jesus and we, we look for help. We turn to our groom. Now, Lord, will you speak and we will say yes. We will come as you direct. We will obey as you sin. Oh, Jesus, may we see you. Now be glorified and change our lives and beautify this body as we turn our eyes upon Jesus.